electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It does indeed. John, thank you very much. Right now on Fast, major shrinkage in retail stocks. Shares of Dick's Sporting Goods suffering their worst day ever as they slash their outlook over a massive rise in store theft. Is crime the main reason retail names are getting punished here? We'll debate that one. Plus, sales slump. Housing sales fall again as supply drops to a near 25-year low and mortgage rates jump to a 23-year high. Does this combo hammer the bull run for the builders? And later, charting NVIDIA's next move ahead of earnings, Schwab's brutal August losing streak, and I bet that Baba is ready to bounce back. Good evening, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and our special guest trader tonight, Kristen Bitterly, head of North America Investments at City. Global Wealth. We're going to call you Chris, right? Mm. Call me Chris. Call me Chris. Welcome, Chris. Good to have you with us. <laughs> Good here, to see you. With us. We start now uh, with a retail bloodbath on Wall Street. There was red across the board in today's trading session. Dick's Sporting Goods, Macy's, Nordstrom, They're among the biggest losers there. You see the percentage declines. Dick's posting its biggest drop on record after reporting an earnings miss and cutting guidance for the year. One big contributor, they say, the sporting goods chain blames an increase in serious retail theft and crime. Now, Macy's, meanwhile, beat on the top and bottom lines, but disappointing third quarter guidance sent the department store stock to its lowest close in more than two and a half years. And the weakness uh, pushing the retail ETF, the XRT, down more than 2% today. Worst day since May. It has now fallen, folks, in five of the last six sessions. Even Target, which saw a nice bump after its report last Tuesday, fell in sympathy. I don't know. Can a stock really have sympathy for anything? I don't really think so. But I, we may have. We should have sympathy for. We're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to. Don't even say it. Because then we get charged. We get like in trouble. The big box retailer has erased now all of its post-earnings bounce. How about that? So. Is this all about the shrink, or is that just the is shrink the new so, weather? You're setting me up there. Is there a reason you? why you pointed yeah, yeah. the guy I mean, you pointed me and say that's no, a problematic? Because you have good insight. Into <laughs> well, no, I don't, Tim. No, no, but I'm, apparently, there you know there are pharmaceutical companies that have addressed that problem. Right. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But that's for another show. Interesting. Is it a problem? Absolutely. Is it a problem? Is it the only problem? No, it's no. not the only problem. I mean, a lot of Target's problems have been self-inflicted wounds. The consumers obviously a problem as well. They're moving down. If you listen to any, go back and listen to what Dollar Gin said about two and a half quarters ago or so, and they'll tell you people are going down the food chain in terms of where they're shopping. Who wins to that? One end of the spectrum wins is like a is like a Walmart, a Dollar Gen to a certain extent, TJX, which we talk about all the time, and the flip side, which is the high end. In the middle, you get squeezed in this environment. Is is this saying any of these retailers? Is this saying anything, Chris, about the state of the consumer to you? 
I think that it is. So I, I think we saw this in Q1 earnings as well. So going back to Q1 earnings, it was all about the shift in from goods into services, where we saw increase in spending. But now we're starting to see some cracks in the consumer picture. They're not overly alarming, but just how a lot of consumers are trading down, looking at rising credit card balances, looking at an increase, a slight increase in those 30-day delinquency rates from a credit card perspective. And so when you add all of that up, I think ultimately it does tell us a little bit about the spending patterns and how consumers are making decisions right now. We, we, by the way, welcome, Chris. And, and, you know, we also heard from Jeff Jeanette at Macy's that, that delinquencies are something that they're, they're listening to, too. So you have a case where you have a consumer that pulled forward so much in terms of sporting goods, electronics, clothing, apparel. Um, Dan, I mean, I don't know how many Lululemon pants. And, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm lighting them up. Yeah, you're lighting them up. Yep. But, but, but truly what we even heard with Apple, I would make an argument, is, is that the discretionary spend for this, the largest consumer and largest company in the world um, was real. The, the messaging from the companies is also one where uh, they don't see the second half getting a whole lot better. This is all coming in a world where their labor and their costs around some of their business have remained very high and will remain high. And, and I think you've got a consumer that, uh, as we know from, from Walmart and Target for sure, but uh, the mix, as you pointed out, is, is very very different. So, so why, if it's true, Dan, that consumers are feeling this a little bit, why are they feeling it? They've got jobs. Joblessness is very low. Yeah. Incomes have gone up a bit, not not maybe as much as inflation, but, but why are they feeling it to the extent that they are feeling it? Is it because prices have gone up so much and they just can't keep up? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of folks who've kind of explained this, and I'm sure Chris could help us here uh, add a little IQ to this desk here. I mean, when you think about June of 2022, we had CPI was 9%, right? So that's a, a year-over-year number, and here we are. Yes, it sounds great that we're now like at 3% or something like that. So here we are, you know, two-thirds of the way through 2023, but that's still 3% higher than the year-ago levels that were up, you know, high single digits. And so when you think about wage growth, you just said it, Tyler, it's just not keeping pace at that. And Guy's been saying this, we were talking before the show, he was saying in 2021, the persistent and pesky parts of inflation have become embedded for all intents and purposes. They were embedded, but not really covered the way we register CPI. So it's healthcare, it's education, it's housing, all those sorts of things. So, you know, we are in a situation where I, I think, you know, I, I, not that I don't like to give Jamie Dimon credit, but uh, but when he said a few months ago, be prepared for six, maybe seven percent sort of interest rates there. I mean, I don't think he said that particularly too lightly. And I was not in that camp and I'm not an economist and I'm certainly not a CEO of a major money center bank or anything like that. But I think we better be prepared to hear what the Fed has to say on Friday. And I don't expect it to be particularly dovish. How much, Chris, do you think rising interest rates are hurting consumers? In other words, you've got I mean, People are, are postponing buying new homes, I think, in part because they don't want to trade their 2 or 3% interest rate for a 7% interest rate. But there are a lot of loans that aren't mortgage loans that people have. They have lines of credit. They have uh, home equity lines of credit. They may have auto loans. And those things are have drifted up, which is probably why you're seeing more delinquencies. Exactly. So when you break apart the, the consumer and you say, what is happening within the housing market? We've heard a lot about that today in terms of existing home sales, people feeling trapped in their homes mm -hmm. because they want to maintain that mortgage rate. But a lot of debt is floating rate. Yeah. And a lot of debt for consumers. So the trend that we're seeing right now is one where you had stimulus-fueled spending 
And right now, that's actually converting into credit-driven spending. That in and of itself isn't bad, but obviously the debt servicing of that as rates go higher and higher creates a much heavier burden on the average consumer. So it will affect those decisions that you're making. And Got listen, it. you know, we talk about the health of the consumer. I'll give you the other side of the coin because I don't think they're particularly healthy. Serious delinquency rose from 3.35 in terms of credit cards second quarter last year. It's now over 5%, which doesn't sound like a big deal. That's a big deal. Those don't move percentage points like that over the course of the year. And that's not going to get any better anytime soon. As I've said, the consumer is fighting inflation with debt. That does not end well. Are there retail stocks that you like? We talked about TJ Maxx. I mean, we go is an all-time high. That just stock grinds higher for a myriad of different reasons. You can make an argument against that valuation. expenditures there among them. Joe is watching right now, Tyler. So you might want to say hi. Joe, by the way, good to see you. But TJX works. And I think, listen, Walmart quarter was very good. The stock reaction wasn't great. The quarter was very good, though. The flip side of this is someone like a Lulu who reports, uh, you know, about, I think, a, a week next Wednesday or Thursday uh, and is trading at a multiple that relative to itself over the last three years has come down. But on a trailing basis, and I think trailing is relative in this backdrop when we're talking about the pull forward on discretionary, it's 51 times. I'm short Nike. Uh, I think you can be short Lulu. It's certainly something I'm looking at. Um, these are places where you have bulletproof uh, best of breed brands and balance sheets and and leading edge of fashion and apparel there's just only so much you can buy and at these multiples with with uh, this is what we talk about the stock market every night at 350 basis points higher on your discount rate from where you were uh, when Lulu got this premium valuation I you know I, I think that's one that's also, if you just look at the chart on Lulu, it's moved sideways for the last three to six months uh, between this 270, is, 290 yeah. range. Um, I, I think you have an opportunity there on the short side. All right. Let's get uh, more on the extent of these theft losses with CNBC senior retail reporter Courtney Reagan and CNBC digital retail reporter Gabrielle Fonrouge. How about it, Court? Is, are, are, these, are the companies that are citing theft uh, using the theft to cover th- other problems in their business, or do they really have a theft problem? Or both? I, I think it's potentially a little bit of both. I, I think that it is undeniable that theft and organized retail crime has increased this year over last year when you're talking about industry-wide with certain retailers and in certain areas of the country. We see it from the National Retail Federation. We see it from all these different CEOs. I actually spoke to three different CEOs, executive chairman today, and Macy's CEO said, look, it's elevated. It's factored into our guidance. This year will be higher than last year. Dick's Sporting Goods executive chairman, Ed Stack, son of the founder, said it's going up. It might get worse this year. We have that factored in. That took the stock down about 24%. And then low CEO Marvin Ellison very interestingly said, actually, shrink for us is flat year over year. But I would point out that Lowe's and Home Depot are among the retailers that have actually been pointing to shrink as a material weakness for years now. And so the fact that it might be flat at Lowe's is good, but they've had a while to sort of figure this out, more so perhaps than the others that have not seen this as a more recent phenomenon. We had a guest on earlier today who talked about Lowe's and the, uh, the question of shrink and said that one of the ways they have fought back is by embedding into some of the power tools that were high targets yep. of theft, embedding RFID kind of chips that block these devices from being used. Unless you've actually Unless gone you've through actually the point of sale. Scanner. Exactly. So that's part of it. There's other point of sale technologies that they used, other security measures. They don't want to tell us all the details, understandably. Yeah. Marvin Ellison told me today, look, I'm not going to tell you exactly what we've done, because clearly what we've done has worked, and it's weeded out some of the bad actors. But that is an example of one thing that some of the home retailers Gabrielle, weigh in do. here. What, what, talk about uh, the, the theft problem from where you see it. Yeah, I mean... You know, 
everyone is talking about it. It looks like it's going up. Retailers have been consistently talking about it over the last couple of years. There is survey data that does show that retail crime is on the rise. But this survey data is not definitive. It's based on you're asking retailers, have you noticed an uptick in theft or what are your shrink numbers? It's all anonymized. It's all taken on the honor system. You know, federal theft levels have been plummeting for the last 20 years when you look at FBI crime data, but it all goes unreported. So it's really difficult to suss out whether or not this is actually on the rise. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. You're using it as an excuse in some situations. Other situations, you are seeing an uptick. But something that we need to think about here is that shrink doesn't always mean retail crime. The two words are not interchangeable. So when retailers are talking about an uptick in shrink, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're only seeing theft. They could be seeing an uptick in damage, in loss, um, employee theft, a vendor fraud. Um, and a lot of these guys have had bloated inventories. And when you have a lot more inventory, there's a lot more stuff that can be lost. You, you yeah. say pointedly, uh, Gabrielle, that, that in Dick's case, most of the losses came from markdowns to move inventory, not from shrink. You say Target was not talking about crime until they had massive inventory issues. So that's pretty pointed accusation there. <laughs> I mean, but the numbers speak for themselves and the comments speak for themselves. If you look in Dick's earnings report today, their CEO had a quote that said that their Q2 earnings were severely under pressure, largely because of shrink and retail crime. Um, I believe they just called it shrink. But then when you go on the earnings call and when the analysts start pulling back the layers, their CFO acknowledges that actually the vast majority of the losses was all of the work that they did to clear out all of that outdoor category that they had been sitting on all this excess inventory. So it's interesting when you see the way that they describe it in a press release and that front quote from a CEO saying, hey, this is shrink, this is out of our control, this is a retail-wide issue. But then when you start pulling back the layers, you realize that they lost a lot more from markdowns than they actually did from shrink. That's not to say that shrink wasn't an issue for them and that retail crime is not an issue for them, but it's not the main thing that drove their losses this quarter. Court? Yeah, I mean, again, to Gabrielle's point, there are also all these surveys out there, and I, we, I get a lot of feedback whenever I do these stories, and everyone says, why do you call it shrink? Why do you just call it theft? Because it's not, not all shrink is theft. Some of it is employee theft, and that's not necessarily organized uh, retail damage. crime. Some of damage. it literally is stuff that fell off the back of the truck. Yeah, yeah. So, some, of it's, some of it is somehow it's damaged. There's process control issues. There's sort of unknown reasons for why things have to get written off. So it, it is all part of it. And I do think that, that Gabrielle brings up really good points. And Target, I, I keep saying, is one of the retailers that has pointed out a very definitive number in their forecasting of shrink and the damage there. And in 12 years of covering retail, I have never seen any other retailer give you a number like that. Yeah. And I find it, I yeah. do find I find it very interesting in this last quarter that their their earnings forecast was so far off, but yet they said, oh, actually, our shrink forecast from last quarter, that held up for this quarter. We pretty much nailed that on the head. And I yeah. thought, how in the world can you forecast theft better than you forecast your own earnings results yeah. and your sales forecasts? And, and Court, getting yeah. to, you know, Dick's, at the end of the day, though, they, they said same store, same store sales will be up 2% second half as expected, but they pushed down their EPS guide by almost 10%. So the margins are coming down. Uh, it's not just shrink. I mean, Absolutely. what else is it? Yeah, I mean, and, and yet Ed Stack said, look, a third of the gross presser margin is from shrink. So he called, so then that means two thirds is not, right? right? It's other things. It's these markdowns. They had really, really strong outdoor business during the pandemic and then truly 
shortly thereafter, sort of after we came out of the depths. And then they ended up with a lot of bloated merchandise. How many kayaks does somebody need, right? So they did end well, up having to, to discount. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, you did that. They did end up having to discount a lot of that. They also said that sales were weaker in May and June, and they saw a really nice uptick in July. And so I did think that it was interesting that they didn't then further their forecast. If things are sort of trending higher and back to school is looking great, well, then why didn't you move it further? And the answer was just, oh, we're, we're trying to be conservative about, you know, what the consumer is seeing. But our consumer is strong. So a lot of mixed messages. And you guys were talking about the consumer before. And if I can just bring in one thing, Marvin Ellison, who I was speaking to earlier today, the CEO of Lowe's, said, actually, for us, I don't think that it's about the consumer's personal balance sheet. I think that is actually pretty strong. You were all bringing up points about what's going on with jobs and, and savings rates and all that, albeit potentially declining a little. He said, I think it's more about the fear of the unknown and the fear of what's to come. And I think we've all been dealing with inflation for a really, really long time. And you, after you pay prices that are elevated for a while, you're kind of just tired of it, right? You, you start to sort of wonder how much of that is worth it to continue to do. And while some, some prices that get inflated come back down, some food yeah. prices do, I don't think you're going to see restaurants cutting prices. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see a lot of places reducing prices uh, anytime soon. Car prices are quite elevated. Car prices, pretty stuck there. Uh, Gabrielle, final thought here. We've got other uh, retailers that are going to report this week if they haven't already. Uh, Gap among them, Abercrombie among them, uh, Kohl's, I think, mm -hmm. uh, as well. What do you expect to hear from them and how big a factor or little a factor will shrink be? Yeah, so Kohl's has been calling out shrink for a couple of quarters now, at least until last year. Um, so it has been an ongoing issue for them. They're also more prone to shrink because of how they're situated. They're off mall. Um, the mall retailers really don't talk about it that much. It's harder to steal from a mall. I mean, we've all been at a mall. Once you're in a gap or um, in one of these retailers, you have to exit the store, then exit the mall. It's way more difficult. So I think that's why we actually hear that less. Gap does see shrink. Um, they invest heavily into organized retail crime alliances. It's something that they care a lot about. They don't talk a lot about it, but it's there and it's something that they're involved with. So I do believe we'll hear it from Kohl's. Um, Nordstrom isn't somebody that calls it out, but that doesn't mean that they're not seeing it. Retailers are often loath to talk about shrink, especially when you're thinking about a more premium luxury retailer like Nordstrom's. Yeah. They don't want, you know, customers coming in and thinking they're going to be a victim of a crime or they have to witness crime. And look at this video that we're seeing right now. That's exactly what, you know, why and that was a Nordstrom. That correct? Was, yeah, the that, smash and grabs have happened exactly. to several Nordstrom's. This, this, right. this was a Nordstrom uh, back a week or two ago. I mean, it's just really <laughs> crazy. And that's that looks like an organized theft ring doing right. that. Right. That's not just random. And, and, and these and these thieves are going in there and they're stealing items that then often get resold on online marketplaces right. They're It's not uh, shoplifting for personal use in most cases. Yeah. All right, Gabrielle yeah. and Courtney, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to trade this a, a little bit. Dan, jump All right. in. This sounds so 10 years ago, but <laughs> remember when Amazon reported last week? Remember those operating margins they had on the retail business? <laughs> it, it really is kind of interesting. Remember we would talk day in and day out about how Amazon's going to eat the lunch of the mall retailers and this that. It seems like that's what's happening right now. I mean, maybe like the build that Amazon got punished for during the pandemic, the building out court of all yeah, yeah, the logistics sure. and everything like that is one of the reasons this company had those margins contract pretty dramatically, but maybe they're now getting to a point where this is like the place you want to be again. So I completely agree with oh, that. Oh, look at that, Chris. That, I completely See? agree with you because I think like one of the things is the health of the consumer, but it's also e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And what happened during the pandemic and some of those trends are absolutely here to stay. So the build out of that last mile logistics, the fact that this is how a lot of people 
buy pretty much the majority of their goods right now. And so I think if you are brick and mortar retail, it needs to be very niche, very specific for you to be for you to be successful or you need to have that e-commerce strategy as well. I just think that disinflation has been such a theme also over the last couple of months. I mean, I know it's a very active theme in the hedge fund community in terms of who they're going after. And it's it's certainly played out in a target and some of the more obvious places that have exposure to, to food and grocery. But uh, I, I just think you have a perfect storm. First of all, these are brutal comps for a lot of these, especially apparel and discretionary folks. In other words, it was about as good as it could get in terms of demand coming out and pent up. Um, I think margins are under pressure from labor. Uh, and I think you yeah. I, I actually look sure. numbers I'm seeing on household savings rates tell me that we've actually burned through it. And I'm seeing a couple economists say that we're actually pre-COVID levels in terms of household savings. It goes pretty quickly, um, especially when people are starting to see interest rates take a big part of their monthly nut. All right. Thanks, folks. Appreciate it. My wife says hi, Guy, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, of course she does. She watches. She watches. She's She's watching. Watch Guy. Because I said hi to her. You said hi, she would have said hi to you. But she said, he said hi. So anyhow, (laughs) Joe says hi to everybody. All right, coming up, the earnings keep rolling in. Toll Brothers on the move after reporting his home sales data also filter in. The whole housing trade is next, plus a streak you won't want to brag about. Shares have swabbed down 11 days in a row. The last time I saw that type of action, the show Friends was still on TV. We were watching it, but we were just watching it. It's still on TV. Come on, guys. And not the reruns, however, we're talking about here. The real show, the, the live one. No, it wasn't live either. But all right, we'll lay out why the stock market uh, has, uh, why that stock in Schwab has not been so friendly when fast money returns. We'll be right back. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Earnings alert on Toll Brothers. Shares of the home builder gaining ground after exceeding top and bottom line estimates. A surge in signed contracts prompting the company to raise its full gear guidance. Diana Olick here to break down the numbers. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, Toll really blew the doors off. New signed contracts up 77% year over year. This even as the average rate on the 30-year fixed mortgage went from 65 to over 7% during the quarter. The realtors reported this morning that while home sales were down across all price points in July, they were down the least in the million-dollar-plus range, and luxury tolls average price $1.06 million, and they raised price guidance for the next quarter. CEO Doug Yearly said while rising rates remain a challenge, they further cement the lock-in effect that has kept resale inventory at historically low levels with our deep and well-located land holdings, healthy backlog, more efficient operations, and balanced spec strategy. Are We are well-positioned to capitalize on continued solid demands for new home. Toll also raised guidance for its deliveries. Tyler? 
All right, Diana, thanks very much. Chris, what do you think on the housing market and on toll if you have an opinion there? Yeah, so I, I think looking at the data that we got today with existing home sales, this is new home sales are the only game in town, yeah. really. There is no inventory. We talked about this earlier that people feel trapped in their homes because of the historically low mortgages that they locked in. And so if you have that ability, when you look at new home sales, that really is the only opportunity both for buyers as well as sellers. So if you have inventory that you can put to market, that would lead to some some strong results. Well, what do you think of the builders? I, I, like, it's hard to argue with the builders, especially when they're giving you this kind of a guide. The, the argument against the builders, though, is that the builders are, are at you know, year and a half highs and that we've had an enormous rally, That that a story that I think we know. We know that they're also providing a lot of the financing uh, where banks are not able to or willing to and eating some of the costs. I... I this isn't going to be anything close to a 2008, but the, the messaging is similar. There is such demand here, and I think there's going to be at some point, I think the consumer gets tapped out. But more importantly, the XHB, which also has exposure across Whirlpool and Train and, and some of the other parts and the components of the housing market, uh, I think the best days are done for 2023. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it needs to go down substantially. The dynamics here for the housing market, the macro remains uh, pretty strong, but I don't think rates are coming down anytime soon. And think of where those house, home builders have come from. A year, a year ago, uh, or yeah. thereabouts, well, they were... I agree with you, Tim, and I don't know if that makes you feel they good They were experiencing... I think I mean, the there's, stage for the there's a lot of love on the desk tonight. Well, think about this with Toll Brothers. Okay, so that guide and that report like sounded great, except the stock, and again, it's after hours, is up a half a percent or something like that. So like normally, you would say, well, that you just want to buy this stock at that valuation, give the supply-demand dynamics, but the rate thing is not going away, as Chris just said here. And I, I, listen, I have a bearish position, XHB, in put, so I've defined my risk. I'm playing for lower lows here. I just think that these have the potential to snowball. If Toll Brothers closed down on the day tomorrow after that report and guide. I think the trade's done for a bit. Very interesting. And you, did, you basically said the same thing. I, again, we've priced such great news. And remember, when, when rates were looking seemingly toppy, when we were calling the top of the Fed, um, the housing market had this second burst here. Um, valuations, are, they're not that cheap. Yeah, many of the builders up 50% or more year to date. There's a lot more fast to come. And here is what's coming up next. Brokerage bummer. Charles Schwab on quite the streak. But it's not the kind investors hope for. The reason behind the move, next. Plus, inflation and yields and power, oh my. All eyes on the Fed as central bank officials get ready for Jackson Hole. So what will the chair say and how will the markets react? We'll break it down ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We got a buzzkill on Charles Schwab closing out the day nearly 5% lower. The brokerage ended lower now 11 days in a row, longest losing streak since 2004, down nearly 15% in just those 11 days. You've been watching this name, Dan. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's one that we've talked about on the desk. And I think really in March and April, when you think about the deposit base that they have and you think about the rates and, and you think about the mismatch that we had and held to maturity securities by a lot of banks and, and, and the regionals that went under because of that, I mean, this was a target. It was one of those ones yeah. back then that was trading abnormally poor. And, you know, a guy, I'll, I'll let you speak to this a little bit, but just the price action of late, I mean, it's reversed that whole move. I think when they reported, you know, uh, five weeks ago or something like that, it felt like there was a bit of a sigh of relief. But now with rates going higher, it seems like it's back in the sights here. Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, the duration risk that they had, Schwab has similar. Whether they like to admit it or not, it's there, and the stock is trading that way. It was a relief rally on the back of earnings a couple weeks ago. I get it. I think a lot of people said the coast is clear. They've gotten through it. Then the bond market is starting to act up again. The move index, which is something we talk about, is back on the rise. That's not good for Schwab. And people seem to be betting now there's significant downside. And if you go through the Twitter machine, it is still Twitter, a lot of people are making comparisons to what they saw, you know, 14, 15 years ago with some of the other investment banks. So you got to be careful out there in Schwab right now. Chris, I'm going to give you a pass on the banks. Okay, All right, I'm great. Give you I'm a happy pass to talk about financial services, though. All right, well, go ahead. Have yeah. at yeah. it. So I think when we're looking at the pressure, especially from like an equity price standpoint, there are a lot of continued pressures if it is the just cash deposits moving into T-bills, moving into money market funds. Money market funds have eclipsed $5.6 trillion. And then when you add on top of that, whether it's additional capital requirements, there's just a lot of pressures from a profitability standpoint. So our best expression of going long financials is actually in the preferred market. Mm -hmm. In the preferred market, you're you're investing in the large GSIB type banks who have strong balance sheet. And then you're getting compensated with an above market yield to do that. Yeah. Tim? Well, $36 billion last week uh, in the money market funds. Equity markets overall are competing with this dynamic, but certainly regional banks are competing from a net interest income and NIMS. And, and I would also just argue, I mean, you, you look at the move in the KRE overall, it, it's, you've had multiple hits over the last three weeks. First of all, you had the Fitch uh, yep. followed through uh, with downgraded the banks. We've now had S&P follow through, and I think this is the downgrade that people pay more attention to. But this has all happened. Look at where the two-year close today. What did we close? 504? Mm -hmm. um, we're, yeah. we're at a high. Yeah. We're at a high for this cycle. This isn't great for regional banks when you consider the exposure that people were pricing in around SVB. It was capital flight risk, as Dan pointed out, but it was also commercial real estate and things that people were expecting to happen. Higher rates are only putting this right back in their face. I uh, work with a charity in northern New Jersey, and we have taken money that otherwise might have been in a bank, uh, the bank that we do business, put it all in treasuries, all in short treasuries. I mean, that's just where you get paid the most and you have the optionality then when you roll them, roll them over to, to reinvest. It's a, it's a Banks have, have had no choice. They, they, were, they were fighting very hard to fight these deposits and interest rates uh, and savings, and they have to, especially when you yeah. consider what's happened yeah. to their deposit base. All right, coming up, what, you, what should you expect out of Jackson Hole? The Fed Chair Jerome Powell set to speak in Wyoming. Uh, he will do that on Friday. What can we expect and what will it mean for the markets? That is next. And August has been hard on Alibaba, but the sell-off hasn't stopped one of our traders from baba buying up the stock. He sees in that name. <laughs> nice job, money retailer. No, I hadn't even pre-read that. That's really good. I didn't know that was no coming. I didn't know that was. No one should be surprised. We'll by be right that. back. Baba. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Uh, stocks closing mixed today. The Dow dropping half a percent. The S&P down three-tenths of a percent. But the Nasdaq, while virtually flat, did manage to end in positive territory by 0.06 percent. 
Uh, it's uh, the first time this month the stock has posted uh, two straight days of gains. Shares of Eli Lilly, all-time highs all the way back to 1952 when it first started trading, $553 a share. That stock up more than 70% over the past year. Let's also take a look at UPS after hours. The Teamsters have voted to approve a five-year contract with UPS. Those shares are up about $1.10 or 0.65%. Investors also looking ahead to the Fed's Jackson Hole Symposium. It kicks off Thursday. And whether Jerome Powell will give the market any clarity on the committee's path ahead. But, Chris, you're not so optimistic. Uh, we'll hear much from the Fed chairman. He really shook things up last year at Jackson Hole. Seven-minute, eight-minute speech that... Can't remember. It was quite nine minutes. But yeah. I, I think... We're not anticipating one of those speeches like we saw in 2010 or 2012. I think what the market is going to look for is, is a couple of different things. This narrative around higher rates for longer, is he going to give us anything related to that? Um, and then the other thing is this whole concept, which I don't think he's going to give us a lot of information about, but obviously it's a big discussion, the neutral rate. And this idea that the Fed could be in a position to start cutting rates, regardless if we see a big deterioration in the employment backdrop, you would just need inflation to come down in a more material way. So we're going to look to commentary around the neutral rate, look to see if he mentions anything in terms of higher for longer, but we're not really expecting much. Speaking of higher for longer, why have longer term rates, longer duration rates gone up as much as they have the 10-year by what, 60 basis points in the last couple, couple of months? Of well, yeah, when we couple look at the, even the past couple of weeks, right, it's about 50 basis points. And so I think there's a couple of different reasons. The first one just being the overall economic data and the growth backdrop. No longer an inflation story, but more commentary around a soft landing. You look at the massive amount of issuance coming to market. Mm. And then mm -hmm. obviously we had yield curve control and, and the unwinding of that. And I think those three key things is what really kind of drove up the back end of the curve. But from our perspective, I think that's a buying opportunity in terms of adding some of that exposure. Something like a trillion dollars worth of, fe of federal debt is coming off in the next 90 days or something like that, Dan. Yeah, I mean, these guys have been talking about a lot. It, it's kind of above my pay grade here a little bit. But, I mean, just listen, you know, it, it's just gotten to a point where, um, you know, this bond bubble that we've been hearing about for, what, 15 years or so now, it seems to be finally coming a bit undone. And Guy says all the time, careful what you wish for, because once these things are kind of set in place a little bit, sometimes they end to, uh, you know, end up going off the rails a little bit. And Guy just mentioned the move index. You know, all of a sudden it's been picking up a little bit. We have a VIX on its way towards 20. It feels like a lot of these things might find themselves kind of slamming into each other. And we have had a period like that I really since probably March where we've had lots of different risk assets going lots of different ways causing lots of different kind of volatility levels and that's where stress can ha kind of happen here so I, I feel like September we're in for it a little bit yeah I, you said that last I night did. and, I, and well, I, I kind of get that that vibe too not I think you can have but, both but, though I mean look the setup in into Jackson Hole is is the equity markets are down five percent and yeah. and equity positioning in the last month has changed dramatically people have chased bond yields higher um, I think yields are going to go higher but I I, you know, people are so off sides onto that trade. So I, I actually feel like there's very little that, that Powell can throw at us because, frankly, the Fed is very unclear where, uh, you know, some of the systemic inflation can really abate. We've seen a lot of the low-hanging fruit come off, and I think they're, of course, going to be very careful about that. But um, I, I like equities going into, into Jackson Hole, and I like the ability to get a bounce. I also think that the dollar, which has been the beneficiary of some stuff in China, some stuff in, in around the world, is has had the kind of a rally that I think gives you some room to, 
see it give something back, and that's going to be great for equities. Again, this is a trade because I, I don't love September at all. Uh, I'm talking about a market that in the last three weeks has gone from being euphoric on the bull side to actually changing tune very aggressively. And I think as a trader, you have an opportunity. All right, let's talk about Alibaba shares. Lower again today, the China tech giant seeing a big drop this month, down nearly 14% in August. But is the selling overdone? One of our traders has been uh, scooping up some shares, Tim. I Slowly. That's and, you. And, and I, I am. Ba, 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 ba. What, what did you, how did we do that last ba, time? Ba, 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 ba. Sound a little bit like Shana Na, yeah. even, a little <laughs> bit like Bowser. Um, but I, I and, and honestly, I've felt like Bowser investing in Baba at times over the last year because it's not been an easy trade. And, and, and I would argue for all of the pain that Alibaba's put in over the last couple of weeks is emerging markets, which a month ago looked like they were breaking out. And as someone that's invested in EM for much of my career, um, EM can always go lower. Um, but I think nibbling on EM here, again, for some of the same reasons I said, just from a positioning, I think there's a trade here. I think the dollar's not going to hold. Dollar's not going to 105 in the short run. Um, Alibaba, this is not about investing in China macro, folks. This is about investing in a company that was effectively dismantled by the government. And, and I think they've now put it back together on their terms and terms that I think will work for equity investors. So um, it, it, for all the pain, and, and Guy says this all the time, and he probably has these ranges ready to go on Baba, you could still be in a downtrend and have a 40% rally here. Um, I actually think it's an investment now, not just a trade. Um, and it's been, it's been one step forward, two step back, two step forward, one step back. Go Your name and, was invoked. Well, you go back and look at the quarter they reported a few weeks ago. It was actually a very good quarter, and the stock acted in kind. It went from, I think, 88 to 104. And then it's obviously given the entire thing back for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which, well, not anything to do with Alibaba, quite frankly, all the other things that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. So Tim is right. You've been able to trade the stock on the long side in a two and a half, three year downtrend very successfully. And this 88 level is probably one you can do it from again. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, new estimates on just how much damage the Hawaiian wildfires have done and what it can mean for insurers that are bracing for a flood of claims. We've got that story next. Plus, the poster child for the AI frenzy is on deck to report. What are options traders expecting from NVIDIA's earnings tomorrow? That trade and more ahead. Stick around because a lot more fast money will be coming right at you in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. From record-breaking rainfall in Southern California to the Maui wildfires, natural disasters are causing billions of dollars in damages, and insurers are bracing for a slew of claims, bracing for a slew of claims that will come from that. CNBC's Contessa Brewer has more. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Tyler. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so here you've got the insurers wondering what the onslaught of claims is going to be from those wildfires that devastated Hawaii. Moody's RMS estimates, and this has just come, come out, that property value, insured property value, could be as much as $4 billion in damage. And then, of course, we're looking for those damage estimates for Hillary sweeping up through California. Already this year, natural disasters have cost the insurance industry more than expected. And we really saw that in second quarter results for Allstate. We saw it for travelers and others. Swiss Re reports that thunderstorms in the U.S. caused $34 billion in losses for the first half of this year. Thunderstorms. That's the highest ever insured loss in a six-month period in the nation. Across the U.S., most of us will pay the price for additional catastrophe costs. Property owners, whether individuals or businesses, likely are already seeing higher premiums. Homeowners insurance, for instance, is up on average 10% from a year ago. And we've had several years of 
what the insurance industry calls a hard market, that's rates on the rise. Some insurers are really taking advantage, though. For instance, Chubb reported record second quarter net income. It jumped 50 percent over last year, yet its stock just getting punished, down 10 percent year to date. So is AIG's. Allstate down 22 percent. Meanwhile, you've got Arch Capital up 19 percent year to date. And the brokers, Marsh McLennan and A.J. Gallagher, doing nearly as well. Of course, remember, brokers take on none of the risk. They make more money on commissions and their fees when rates go up. So for them, they're sitting pretty. All right, Contessa, thank you. Uh, let's trade a little bit. Guy, what do you think? Well, I mean, Contessa's all over this, and gambling now insures. But Chubb has been a monster stock until the last couple months. And typically, and you look at the quarter, it was great. When the news is at its worst, which we're getting there, that's typically when you start to buy these stocks. And as she said, CB has gone from 240 down to 199 or so. Maybe there's a little more downside here, but you'll watch and see when you start to hear everybody talking about insurers and how basically up against it they are, that's typically when these stocks bottom out. Yeah, and you look at uh, the fact that you pointed out, the, the profits are good, but the stock is not. So at some point. The flip side of that, though, is, by the way, insurers now are earning a lot more on their investments. So, I mean, yeah. the other side of what they've had to do is they've had to, and this should be something that concerns people, too, because they've had to reach out the risk curve like everybody else uh, when rates were zero. But it's a time where insurers actually can manage their liabilities very differently than they could before. All right. Contessa, thanks again. Sure. All righty. Coming up, we are diving headfirst into NVIDIA earnings. The uh, chart master tells the technical tale for the chip maker. Plus, we'll look at how options traders are positioning themselves ahead of tomorrow's closely watched report. More Fast Money after this. All right, let's turn to NVIDIA. It has been three months since the chipmaker's bullish AI commentary in its last earnings call sent the company into the trillion-dollar club market value cap, market value-wise. But with the stock hitting a new all-time high today, the day before its next report, how much room is there left in the rally? The chartmaster says the stock's reaction could be a total toss-up. Carter Worth of Worth Charting joins us now with a tale of the technicals. Carter? Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it could be. I think it is, right? I mean, it's it just a pure flip of a coin. We know that just three months ago, actually, a consensus for a 12-month price target on Wall Street was 300. After that beat, the consensus is now it'll be 520, uh, 12 months hence. It, it's, it's literally binary, almost an FDA approval kind of thing, drug beat or drug miss, so to speak. But let's look at a table and two charts. So what we know is if you look at the last six quarters, you can see that the Two most recent, uh, the price reaction to earnings was epic, right? Up 14% Q4, and then the most recent up 24. But if you look at the last 40 quarters, um, the median move is about 4%. So this has been exceptional. Uh, and the question is, does it happen again? Let's look at one of two identical charts. So the first has no lines, no drawings, no annotations. Um, and what I would highlight, of course, is the gaps associated with the earnings. Look at the third and final um, uh, Chart, this is what we have. We gapped, um, and we gapped again. And what we know is that you typically get two or three gaps, rarely four. So the question is, do you get that third gap up, or is it all now priced in? Because again, three months ago, the price target was 300 from 40 analysts. Now it's 520. I have no clue. I think it's virtually a coin toss, and I think the street is in the same boat. I think everyone's in the same boat. Uh, right. Many are betting for a miss or not good enough, and many are betting for yet another big, big punch higher. 
All right, we'll see. Uh, what do you say, Dan? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I mean, listen, I think that what's baked into this is that they're going to beat the quarter and they're going to guide up massively. That is actually the expectation. And I can't tell you in my 27 years in the business where there was such a certainty that this was going to happen in one of the biggest stocks in the entire stock market. That is the consensus right now. So if they do all of that, Okay, the options market, and started to step on Mike's toes, yeah. is implying a 10% move in either direction. We talked about it last night. That's $100 billion in market cap that it might move. Now, it might not move at all, that sort of thing. But when you think about that 24% gap last quarter, that was easily a $150 billion move from that lower level. So, listen, to me... In a day. I, I agree with him. I think it's a mania. I think if it's, it's got to be a monster blowout, it gaps up, and I think they sell it. I don't think there's anyone left to buy this stock, especially at this valuation at this market cap. Guy? The reversal today was epic. Traded one and a half times normal volume, made an all-time high at the beginning of the day, spent the rest of the day selling off. That's pretty classic. Now, that could fly in the face tomorrow at this time. We could be talking about a stock that's north of $500, and we're having a much different conversation. But they better really talk about a beaten guy at higher like last quarter. they got to outdo themselves again. I don't see it happening, but I think let price be your guide post-earnings tomorrow. You know, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this one tomorrow. We will. You think? You're here, right? Yeah, I'm I, here. I, I think so. I'm going to be here. Really quickly, the group, though, is what you have to watch, because this is one that's pulled the whole group, which has pulled the market higher. That's what I would be watching. All right, options traders betting tomorrow's earnings report could fuel a new round of gains for NVIDIA. Mike Co joins us now with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I think they're making hedge bets to the upside. This is always one of the busiest single stock options today. It was second or third overall, depending on how you measure it, implying a move of about 11% higher or lower by the end of the week. One of the bigger trades that we saw was making that upside bet to that $520 price target that Carter was just referencing, but not risking a whole lot relative to the current stock price. They bought 3,400 of the 470 calls and sold as many of the 520 calls. They risked just under 3.4% of the current stock price, making a bet that the stock could be up between 6 and 14% by September expiration. All right, Mike, thanks very much. And, of course, for more options action, you can uh, tune into the full show. That is Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, our final trade. We'll right All right, time for the uh, final trade. We're going to go around the horn. Kristen, your final thought. All right, so uh, this whole debate about whether you should be in the market, not for the next couple of weeks, take advantage of the muted volatility and just hedge it. That, I think, makes a lot of sense to get yourself through some of these catalyst events. All right, Tim. Sentiment in China as poor as I've ever seen it here. And again, Baba's not a China macro call. Baba. Baba. All right, Dan. Sentiment in here, like the U.S., seems really complacent to me. So housing, I love that discussion we just had here. XHB, I remain bearish of it. All right. You learn something new every day, Tyler. What do you learn? We're in the green room. Kristen said, call me Chris. And then you said... OMG, my real first name. That is my first is name. Is Chris. I didn't know that. Did anyone Did know, you that? know that? Did oh, you know, know that? that? I didn't know it. Before. You weren't paying attention. But, you know, I like Tyler. Cheapest thing. I like Tyler, I like too. Chris. I like, I like everything on. about Tyler. And you'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back. Great having Chris here. International business machines. All right, there you go. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.